0: Hi there, you're listening to the podcast version of 3CR's Monday Breakfast Show. Catch us live every Monday at 7am at 855 on your AM dial, streaming 3CR on the TuneIn app, or at 3cr.org.au. Enjoy the show! 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. Three CR Breakfast. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Alternative news, analysis, and current hands. affairs. Monday to
2: Friday, 7am to late 30am. Daily double.
3: Clap Clap your
0: And you are back with 3CR Community Radio listening to Monday Breakfast. I'm Will. And on the line now, we have Kent Morris, who is the CEO of the Torch Project. And as part of the Torch's Indigenous Arts in Prison and Community Program, they're hosting ex- the exhibition Confined Nine, which is an exhibition of art by Indigenous artists who are currently or have been incarcerated. And uh, to uh, let's get to it. Um, Kent Morris, how are you going?
2: I'm going good, Will. That's
0: great. Thanks for joining us on Monday Breakfast. That's a pleasure. Well, let's um, let's get started. First of all, um, can you give us an idea of what The Torch is and what its mission is?
2: Yeah, look, The Torch is based around a program that I was uh, had the responsibility of building around seven years ago, and it's a, a program that seeks to address the over-representation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the criminal justice system, and to try and an impact into the not only the high uh, incarceration rates but the high recidivism and reoffending rates and so my task was to, to build this program and it's centered around the feedback i got from aboriginal men and women in prisons when i went out to to build the program was that the thing that would seem to be really missing in in their lives and particularly within the prison environment was any sense of being able to learn about culture and about, you know, language group histories and stories, language, family histories, all of the essential elements of identity, which are crucial to us being able to find uh, out who we are and where we're going. So over the seven years, the, the program works in all the, the 13, well, unfortunately now 14 prisons in Victoria and supports men and women when they are released from that system to find a way back into the community. And we do this through cultural learning and cultural expression, so that learning of culture is then expressed through uh, a, a cultural practice, which in this sense is, is artworks, so paintings, are the way that's done, and to share those paintings with the broader community. So once a year, we have an exhibition called Confined, which showcases the works from the program and allows the men and women to, to share their stories and connect with the community, and also, importantly, over the last two years, sell those artworks to build some economic uh, independence which will support them on the way back into the community upon release.
0: Mm. Well, you've just mentioned it. Confined 9 is um, the exhibition that's... Uh, it's already a s- set up, but its official launches on the 15th, is what I understand. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the um, the exhibition and also what the highlights are? Like, it's an exhibition where arts are on sale. Is that right?
2: Look, yeah, there's a couple of things in this. Um, yeah. The... All year round, we're working you know, behind the prison walls with, with the Indigenous men and women to really not only fine-tune those artworks, but even before that, when I when I went out to the prisons, none of the men and women said to me, "We want to learn about art." They really all piped up about my totem animal. I don't know the creation stories of my mob. I've never seen photos of my my grandparents. I want to learn my lingo. All of these kind of questions. So the exhibition really showcases those. I guess, explorations and, and those expressions. And it's a, a, a quite an extraordinary show. This year we have over 180 artworks from the program. There's about 175 individual artists from the program um, displaying their artworks. Now, in the first year I, I ran the program, there were about 49 men and women exhibited 62 artworks. This year we have over 175 men and women exhibiting around 183 artworks. And in the setup, and we're setting up uh, today and tomorrow, uh, we've had a day Friday, but men and and women from the program also come who were in the post release and work with me and the Indigenous Arts Officer Paul McCann to set up this exhibition and to learn around learn the other side of the art world around how exhibitions are set up, how they're curated, the installation process, to talk to the media, and share their stories. So and take ownership about how that exhibition looks and is displayed. Significantly about ninety percent of the artists will never see that exhibition because they're currently incarcerated. So mm. It's a really, I guess it's an unusual exhibition, but it's also when people come to the show, it's an incredibly uplifting and and emotional exhibition, which some people don't expect. The works and the exhibition plays an incredible display of vibrancy and and resilience and, and strength of culture. And often we say to the men and women, when you're learning your culture and expressing that, you're often teaching the broader community about your language group and about the stories associated with it, around your story. So they've sort of become from being the, the learners to being the educators for the broader community. So people come from far and wide to see this show and are learning a lot about our culture, but they're also learning a lot about the overrepresentation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the criminal justice system. And more often than not, they're taking home a beautiful artwork to hang on their wall, which has a lot of depth and significance to it.
4: Hi Ken, it's James here. I just wondered what is the reaction from I guess the prisons themselves or some of the institutions, how like are they supportive of the project and you know can they see the kind of impact it can have
2: on on
4: the people that are presenting work?
2: Yeah it's a good question James and something that really was highlighted in the in the first evaluation of the program really quite early on prison staff and across the board whether they're the the Aboriginal wellbeing officers or the prison officers right through to the general man- general managers saw that change in behaviour for Indigenous men and women who connected to the program. And it's something I hadn't really quite uh, thought about. But initially gravitating away from the negative behaviours that go on in the prison, and there's a lot of things that go on in prisons that we uh, in, in the general public may not know about, but it's gravitating away from the the negativity and and the, I guess, destructive behaviours in there, but also, really importantly, men and women who connected to the TORCH program and started this process of cultural learning and expressing through art connected to other support programs that were really important for them, whether they were programs centred around the misuse of drugs and alcohol, around, um, you know, parenting, around men's behaviour, particularly in the area of domestic violence. And so there was a real desire for the men and women to start creating significant change and connecting to programs that they hadn't connected to before, before connecting to the Torch program. So that was a real eye-opener. That's fantastic.
0: Um, so to give us a bit more background on the organisation behind this exhibition, if people um, I hope are going to be turning up, um, but uh, to, to teach us more about the Torch project, can you tell us about the the origin of the project, you did say that there was, um, there was a con- consultation mm. process with people in prisons about what they wanted. And, um, and you, some, you settled on the, uh, the idea of art as a, um, as a tool for connection to, to culture. Um, can you tell us about your own relationship with art and how you've come to see it as valuable to, um, to the people, um, involved in the project now?
2: Yes. Look, uh, and, the, and those, uh, numerous questions all, all come into actually one kind of answer. Mm. The, my experience as an Indigenous man was that my upbringing was quite dis, 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 um, fragmented and, and disengaged from our, our family and culture. My father had been separated from his family through the Aboriginal Welfare Board in the in the 50s. And prior to that, his grandmother's mothers, brothers and sisters, had been removed at gunpoint from Tipperborough to the Breewarrener Mission. And so there'd already been a sense of our family being dislocated and fragmented, coming down from generations. And so by the time it hit my father, he'd passed, I guess, down onto us a, a sense of silence. He, he really uh, struggled with alcohol and died young, unfortunately. And my life gravitated into an, an area where I didn't really know who I was, where I was going and what I was doing. Fortunately, uh, it would take just one man, a, a Gurindji man, who was in Melbourne to ask me just two questions. And he asked me... Where was I from, and who was my mob? And I, I couldn't answer him. Uh, I couldn't answer these questions. <laughs> and he put in a, you know, <laughs> a process by which I ended up at the Currie Heritage Trust, and uh, for a day to to work with him to take an exhibition down. And he didn't turn up, but there I was in the Aboriginal Cultural Centre, and the entire staff and that entire building seemed to wrap itself around me and, and put the pieces of my identity and culture back together. Now, from that process, and this involved the things I'm talking about, about cultural learning, about finding out about your history and your country and your family and community, and then expressing your journey through a cultural practice, through the arts. So when I was uh, fortunately given the job to build this program, I, I built it on the, the knowledge and, and the history and the, the methodologies that have been generously given to me. So this program is built on... And we hear this a lot now, particularly recently with the, the Closing the Gap report, how important it is that support programs are built on Indigenous philosophies and knowledges and, and designed and delivered by community members. So when I say I built this program seven years ago, really, this program was built a long time ago. And, and the, the knowledges and, and support systems that have been put in place, particularly to address a sense of where we've been removed or dislocated from our identity and, and culture and learnings, you know, I've built it really on the back of the support I was given, and when I went down to the prisons, I didn't preempt anything talking to the men and women. I just simply told my story and asked, with the position I've been given, what would the men and women want from a program of this nature? Now, the torch had the idea that it would be centered around art and and making art and and the arts, you know, as an industry, which we. Do And it's very heavily involved in connecting the men and women or having them understand that the art is an industry and it's an economy that they can connect to. But not one person wanted to know about art. They really wanted to know about cultural identity and all of these things which they'd either had not had access to or had been misplaced along the way or that they'd, they'd, they'd come away from. Um, and so I think this idea of community knowledge, of Indigenous community knowledge and support systems and the way we understand the issues is really important for this program because it's delivered, designed, developed and delivered by Indigenous community members for Indigenous community members.
0: By Indigenous community members and for Indigenous community members. Kent Morris, thank you so much for joining us on Monday Breakfast. Thank you so much. Uh, Now, Confined 9, the exhibition that we've just been talking about, will be taking place uh, from... Well, the official launch is on the 15th at 6pm and the venue is Carlisle Street Art Space which is, um, we'll put more details up on our website, but entry is free, but do turn up if you have the means with money to purchase some of the artworks. Um, These are people working in an industry and it's also a great educational experience. So even if you don't have the money, do turn up. Um, It's at, like I said, the Carlisle Street Art Space and it'll be running for about a month. You are listening to Monday Breakfast.
3: Well, if you listen to three, say oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say oh, yes, I sure know where you are. If you listen to three, say oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say oh, clap your hands. we'll check out the happy vibe. And subscribe if you
2: listen to three say oh, flap your ears! What who the hell is that? Flap your ears! What are you talking about? I ain't no elephant. Get out of here! This is a radio. Flap yours! Get out get the hell out of here now. Flap tick, flap tick,
4: flap tick, flap tick. We're joined now by Bam Bam, who we had as a guest um a a few weeks ago talking about the Killjoy show that happened over the Midsummer Festival. And there's another show happening this Saturday from 9 o'clock. And Bam Bam's going to tell us a little bit about that. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm good.
5: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
4: No problem. But maybe um, to start off, give us, um, the listeners, a bit of a feedback about how the show went during Midsummer. And I know lots of people were listening um, when you were in studio a few weeks ago.
5: Um, so yeah, we did, um, I'm part of a show called Killjoy, uh, Destroy, oh, <laughs> it's my alarm. Um, uh, yeah, part of a show called Destroy the Fantasy, um, Killjoy. So we had a really great run at the Melbourne Spiegel tent in Collingwood and, uh, for Midsummer, summer and it was great. We got, um, it was the second time we've done the show, so we were able to tighten everything up and, um, just kind of land a lot more of the, um, the the things that we were trying to land and yeah we had a really great season we got some really great reviews we got like a 4.5 star review um, got mentions in Time Out and the music and it was yeah it was it was a bit of a whirlwind but it was it was really fun
4: How has the show kind of evolved or how do you feel it? it the experience changed from the Fringe to midsummer.
5: I think just um, when, when we did it for Melbourne Fringe, it was, you know, I think we created it about three months prior. So it kind of, I mean, even though we were rehearsing and and you know it, it looks well put together, it, it felt still a bit chaotic. <laughs> um, so it definitely just felt like we tightened tightened up transitions and and just found more points where we could all be on stage together, which I think is um, when you're watching a cabaret, that's. A, a really powerful um, moment when you can see all the cast members on stage interacting with um, with the narrative.
4: And I guess in that moment, you can feel like as a performer, you get more of that energy off each other and can connect as well you? Hey?
5: Absolutely, and, and people really notice that as well. And people always comment on the times that we're on stage, and and that's when the I think the message of children and the message of um, community support and and survival through, you know, the connections that we have um, outwardly as well as the the work that we're doing inwardly um, is is really important.
4: What about the festivals themselves? I think the there's a certain kind of vibe about the Melbourne Fringe and Midsummer that um, I don't know as either a performer or um, a punter going along to the shows that they kind of have a different sort of feel and vibe about them i
5: guess absolutely um having having a a predominantly um queer audience was incredible um and it definitely felt um like there was a very different kind of understanding of um of the stories that we were telling and you know i think people have um such a different relationship to the world when when they are queer and it's not completely different um but yeah, definitely felt like felt like a lot more of our jokes were landing <laughs> potentially. <laughs> um, whereas Melbourne Fringe was a great crowd, but it was potentially more of a more of an artistic crowd. Where Midsummer felt um, a bit political, and especially very poignant at the moment with um, the same-sex marriage coming through, and, and so there is a feeling of rejoicing in the queer community at the moment, which is really lovely.
4: Yeah, I think that's really interesting that I think the Fringe has, a, like you say, it's kind of almost. You know, it's a it's a festival that a lot of people at first put their shows out, or you know, experiment with different types of shows. And there's almost like an artistic critique of anyone who's in the audience, whether that is what they're doing or not. But yeah, mm. the, the, I think that's interesting. Say the political kind of aspect of Midsummer as well. I'm glad that's mm. something that's still really prevalent in the festival.
5: Absolutely, and it's just something that. Yeah, it just makes it really interesting to engage with those audiences, and we also put on a show for midsummer called um, like just a big cabaret called Queer Joy. Um, and Queer Joy was just an excuse to get all of our mates together um, and and have a big cabaret. Um, but that was amazing. You know, we had so many guest performers, and and you know each story was this real kind of vignette of defiance and and celebration and joy, and yeah, that was just. That was so much fun.
4: And you're about to take the show to Adelaide for Adelaide Fringe?
5: Yeah, so we are at the moment preparing to do Adelaide Fringe. We're performing um, in Gluttony. So you've got like the Garden of Honesty lights, and then next door you've got um, this other massive collection of uh, venues called Gluttony. And we're performing in this huge circus tent, the and so um, we're all very excited and very freaked out. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, well, I've only heard great things about the Adelaide Fringe, so I'm sure that it'll be a great time. And I guess so to prepare for that, you've got a fundraiser happening this Saturday night. Can you want to give some details about
5: that? Yeah, absolutely. We've got um, we've got a fundraiser happening at the Beast on Liloon Street, and. Um, they've allowed us to take over um, the venue for um, Saturday night from 9 o'clock. And um, so because we've got the live band for Killjoy, um, made up of Zach Pidd, um Jade Stevens and Rymna Cardle, all of them have their own musical outfits in their own right. So um, we're going to have um, Aaron Will Be Mad playing. Um, we're going to have Dog Child, which is Zack Piers' solo um, creation. Um, we've also got Scurvy and the Dogs, which is, um, Kat Scurvy, who's a performer in the show. Um, and we're also going to be doing a couple of circus acts and me and Marla Bird from the show do, um, a special act called Jet Loves, um, Tank Girl Loves Jet. And it's like a, a, a side show piece, um, of a love story between Tank Girl and Jet.
4: Sounds like an amazing show. And <laughs> Yeah. So, people, if you want to check out the Killjoy at the Beast um, on Facebook, you can find all the details there. So that's mm-hmm. this Saturday from 9 o'clock at 18 Ligon Street, Brunswick East. And yep, and it's so, free
5: yeah. to get in. So. Yeah.
4: And um, so it would be a great opportunity to, if you whether you caught the show uh, during the festival or not, a great chance to check it out. And it says that you have the opportunity to bust apart our show and pull back the curtains. So people get <laughs> to see some of the um, talent all throughout the, I guess, from the festival run.
5: Yeah, so um, just in terms of us doing special performances that we don't ever usually do, um, or that we only really bust out every now and then. Um, but, yeah, getting to see the, the band um, doing you know, being the front people of of their own outfits because, you know, having this incredible band just, you know, um, to the side of of our show um, who are also incredible in their own right and they're just supporting us. So this is kind of our chance to put them more in the limelight and and just celebrate what they do as well.
4: Well, as I said, it sounds like a great show and people should uh, get along to that. But also, if you're heading over to Adelaide Fringe, make sure you check out the Adelaide Fringe website and find tickets to the show there. Thanks a lot for joining us this morning, Bam Bam, and we hope the, the show goes well, and good luck in Adelaide. Uh,
5: Thank you so much for having
2: me. here, the perfect companion
5: in your car on your road trip. You can stream radio straight into your car. Straight like so 3CR gets streamed straight into your car, keeping you company. No matter where you're going or what you're doing, you'll have something interesting in your ear. That's correct. And you can Bluetooth it and you can just stick it right into you. <laughs> <laughs> There's
6: any kind of attachment you want.
5: <laughs> to subscribe to 3CR unwaged is $35. Yes. yes. Waged?
6: $75.
5: And solidarity. $150. $150. That's pretty reasonable to help keep 3CR on air. Call 3CR 9419 8377 and subscribe.
2: Subscribe today. Subscribe now. When I'm on a road trip, I want to take 3CR with me and listen to rock and roll.
3: Hello, I'm Duncan Graham and this is Over the Wall. At a recent Melbourne rally against the Cashless Welfare Card we heard a speech from Daniel Taylor, a Kununurra resident who was part of the East Kimberley trial of the card. We begin today with an extract of his speech at the rally in which he detailed his
1: experience and his fights with the relevant agencies. My name is Daniel Taylor, I'm a former trial participant of the Cashless Welfare Card. I was living in Kununurra in 2016 with my partner and children and they announced that they're putting the card out for everyone. I didn't really have a problem with it at first. I've had the basics card before, and I thought it would be just like that. We activated our cards, and they gave us a book, Terms and Conditions. It was a pretty thick book. I'll get home and start reading through it. It took me two days to come across page 76. It said, by activating our card, we agreed to all terms and conditions. And the terms and conditions were that our information was going to be shared with Government agencies, non-government agencies, everything. It was just open slather on us. We'd lost all rights to privacy. And I thought, this isn't right, you know? So I went back and saw them. And I said, I don't agree with this. I don't want this card. Take it back. And they said, what are you going to do? What are you going to eat? I said, I'm on a hunger strike. And I went 16 days without eating. They just ignored me. They tried saying that my mental health was mad. They sent police and child protection services around saying that we were starving the kids. I had to sort of leave the family home in the end because... Pressure was getting put on us and because of my fight, I started looking into it more and more, connecting with people on Facebook. Information was getting shared, but the government still wouldn 't listen to us, the people that was on it. Any kind of trial, one of the main things is they have to get your consent. they have to tell us what the trial is about for a trial to be set up ethically, they need to look at the benefits versus the risks. They already knew that we had a crime problem in Cunanara in the Andrew Forrest report. It said before the card is implemented that the police be made aware that there will be a jump in crime until people get used to it. Was that an acceptable risk? No. The whole trial was designed with no ethical oversight from a Human Research Ethics Committee. Right? I asked the government, has this trial been approved? They could not or they would not answer me that. I then rang ARIMA Research which was doing the evaluation, I said, have you been approved by a Human Research Ethics Committee to evaluate this trial? They said, yes, we have. And I said, is it ethical to evaluate a trial where participation is mandatory and no one has given genuine informed consent? They put me on hold. They came back after 20 minutes and said, ring social services. I rang social services and they said, you off the trial. And then I asked them, well, can I please have a written letter stating why I've been removed from the trial? Six weeks later, I got an email stating that the secretary can remove a trial participant if they believe it's affecting their physical, mental or emotional well-being.
3: I sat down with Daniel outside the State Library to find out more of his experience in Katanara. I began by asking how the trial cohort was chosen.
1: Anyone receiving welfare payments under the age of 65, we were trial participants. That was it, no consent. We weren't told what the trial was about. We weren't told what the pros and cons of being in the trial was about. We were just told that we've passed legislation and you're in the trial. So anyone on any benefit? Was this including things like DSP and yes. other pensions? Yep, DSP, the only people that were exempt was veterans' pensions and old-age pensions. You could apply for an exemption before a
3: community panel. Can you tell us anything about how that process worked?
1: You couldn't apply for an exemption. You could go to the community panel and apply to get your restricted portion lowered from 80% to 70 60 or 50 They've got a panel administrator, we don't know who he is, he's secret, the panel members are secret, but the administrator, he collects all of your private sensitive information from police, courts, health department, job agencies, Centrelink, housing, your children's schooling records, your children's health records. When they say
3: that you're appealing to a panel to have these rates varied, you're not actually in the presence of them. So you're unable to discover their identity, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, we don't know who they are. And yeah, I think that's wrong. There's no transparency. How do we know there is not a conflict of interest? They say that the panel members are trained to identify a conflict of interest. They might not think they've got a conflict, but we should be able to have a say too. Well, no, I don't want my thing to go to that person. Are you aware of any particular outcomes from the community panels? I think in Kununurra that no-one's even really been to the community panel. As I think you've
3: pointed out, 80% of the income from the government was quarantined onto the card. Can you tell us what particular businesses were set up to receive the card and what sort of businesses weren't?
1: Any business that accepted FPOS, you could use it at. In the trial area, it wouldn't work at the pub. I wouldn't work at the post office at first either. There was problems with the post office. But the thing with the card, they say it can't be used to purchase gambling products or alcohol. That is a lie. That is a falsehood. In the first week of the card being introduced, I went to Coles in Cunananat and I bought cross-lotto tickets with it, which is a form of gambling. Social services were still in town. I went and told them, your card does not work. I just purchased gambling products with it. Oh, we'll sort it out. The next day, I went back to Coles. I said, I I've a cross-lotto ticket. And then when I pulled my card, oh, no, we can't sell it to you because you've got the card. I said, sorry, this card is supposed to stop me from gambling. Not you. Are you discriminating against me because of this card? And what did they do? They sold them to me because they did not want to discriminate, you know, that they would be liable for it. The card is supposed to do it, not the shop, not at the point of sale. Can you also point out any difficulties you might have with
3: the catchment area for the card? So, for example, if you're outside Kununurra or if you're trying to transact business online?
1: Online is really difficult. They said it can be used online. I tried purchasing airline tickets through Webjet, you know, cheap website. they said, oh, no, you've got to go through Qantas. Qantas is set up as an online one. But a Qantas flight is $600. I could get a flight on Qantas for $300 through Webjet. And they said, I will sort it out for you. It took them a week and they said, Webjet's on there now. And I said, well, it's no good. I was supposed to travel last week. You know, and they said, oh, sorry about that. If I miss an appointment and I say sorry, that's not good enough. I get breached. I, I will receive a financial penalty for it.
3: The Hinkler electorate around Bundaberg in Queensland was slated as the next trial site for the card. Daniel explained the difference in community consultation there compared to East Kimberley.
1: It's my belief that the Hinkler area was targeted just so that they could drum up the idea that there was community consultation. Like They're saying that there's been over 100 meetings held in the Hinkler region with people on the ground, with various organisations and that. If you look in the Kununurra one, in the Senate hearing in Canberra, Desmond Hill, the CEO of Warrungurri Aboriginal Corporation, He mentions that there were maybe three or four consultations held in Kununurra with select four people. They said that they've consulted with the local leaders, but them leaders represent people at Kununurra, MG, Muronggudurrung people. But there's Japanese people on the card, there's white people, there's Walpuri people, Gurunji people, Kidja people, Jaru people, people from different tribes, you know? Them people that consented, they're the representative body for MG people. You know, not for me, not for any other people. There's got to be proper consultation with the leaders, you know. If it's community leaders, well, they've got to take people from all of the community, not just their token few that they've picked. I'm not really familiar with the demographics of the four
3: target areas, but would you think it's reasonable to describe each of those areas as having a higher First Nations population in the target group than other places?
1: Yeah I think so and um, if you see Alan Tudge he stated an ABC interview with Michael Bressenden he said no this is not racially targeted he goes even if you look at the Sejuna area I think he quotes that 85% of trial participants are Indigenous so it's not directed at Indigenous people but When you look into the fact that Indigenous people only make up 2.6% of the population and they represent over 80% of trial participants, it does look like it's racially targeted.
3: Over the wall, would like to thank Mr Taylor for his time and insights. In related news, the legislation to expand the use of cashless welfare cards and to take them past the trial stage passed the House of Reps this week. However, this bill now seems unlikely to pass through the Senate due to opposition from Labor, the Greens and the Nick Xenophon team. So, for the time being, the expansion to Hinkler and Kalgoorlie is now on hold and trial sites will have to be considered on a case-by-case basis.
0: Welcome back to Monday Breakfast. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio. You may be listening to us digitally. Digitally. Um, that is online, or you could be streaming us on TuneIn. Um, welcome to our to our internet, folks. Otherwise, you're on 855 AM. Now, if you're interested in subscribing, please do call right now, 94198377. Gab is still in that studio, and she's getting a little lonely at the moment, so I think you should give her a phone call and say hi. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about um subscription right now and talking about 3cr more generally and to do that we have sen who is 3cr's treasure here in the studio today welcome to monday breakfast
6: thank you for both of you and um, yes it's a pleasure to be here and uh, wanting to talk about the important thing that 3cr does
0: that's right um thank you so much for joining us again um so how did you become involved in 3cr you've been here for quite a while haven't you
6: I've been in the committee for nearly 15 years mm. and uh, been with Threesia longer than that uh, because I come from uh, the persecuted minority group in Sri Lanka, the Tamil community. And uh, we have had a civil war uh, which ended uh, sadly, harshly in 2009. And uh, Threesia has offered us a platform in the early, uh, mid 80s. We started our Tamil program, community language program, in '86, uh, and um, I was part of that program because I was actively involved in the in the freedom struggle. And um, after a few years of doing Tamil community or involved in the Tamil program, I didn't do the program every day, but I came for interviews and, because I was involved in a lot of community organizations within the Tamil community. And uh, we thought uh, some of the leaders thought that uh, if not for 3CR those days we could decimate we could uh, we could not um, uh, pass on the news what what's happening at home. Um, those days are without technology, and we used to wait for a fax from uh, homeland and then <laughs> read that as a news. And uh, for the week, and um, yeah, so we we thought we should give something back to 3CR, and uh, I decided to offer myself to, uh, to the community management. We are, Tamil Community is an affiliate of the 3CR. 3CR structure has got affiliates and subscribers, and uh, subscriber drive is going on this month. Mm. And uh, that's what you are here to talk about, not about me. Yeah. So <laughs>
4: when people um, sign up, what is... Like, where does the money go towards? What are the programs and the projects? The
6: whole uh, 3CR funding uh, ro- revolves around uh, cr- um, project-based grants, uh, program-based ethnic uh, community, uh, program-based grants, and uh, RadioTone, annual RadioTone, which is the significant uh, this thing, and the subscribers. Subscribers pay an amount Depending on whether they are working or not working Pensioners and things like that They are $75 and $35 at the moment Today And um, that contributes That goes into the general fund And that contributes to the overall 3CR And a very important contribution uh, And um, um, So apart from, from Radio tone and grants The next uh, big uh, uh, Contributor to the fund is uh, To the annual budget is subscribers and um, yes,
4: and I think like we talked a bit before about, and I think a lot of 3CR it's about communities. And you're talking about the Tamil community, and before talking about unions, and
6: that's what I love about 3CR. Whenever I come here, I and nowadays I do the reception duties as well uh, because I'm now retired. The amount of the 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 various community representatives, various variety of people that you meet uh, from different backgrounds. Uh, um, whether it is um, disability group or bike yeah group or I think today they have a program, Yarabak yeah, uh, later about the bikes and um, that that's the thing that's the beauty of three yeah. CR.
4: And if you subscribe you can become a part of that community,
6: not just in a sense of giving money, but you can actually be involved you in the can production be of things. I- Sorry, sorry yeah. to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think subscribers can be part of the committee community of management. They can be part of the management structure. Uh, there are subscriber reps, uh, positions in the 3CR committee of management. 3CR has got uh, CRF, which is Community Radio Federation, and then we have got a committee of management, uh, which runs the, which manages uh, the volunteers, uh, the whole organization through the station manager. Uh, and other other dedicated staff here. Um, so the subscribers can be part of that committee of management. They can stand for elections and uh, um, get elected into the committee of management and make contribution like what I'm doing here.
4: Yeah. So they get to play a real part of the democratic process and yes. a part of the uh, deciding of
6: what happens. Yeah. Throughout it's the like whole uh, like uh, shareholders in a in a company. You you are yep. part of the part of the organization and you can be represented at the highest level. And be involved in uh, decision making strategic planning, and all that that the committee does
4: and like you said, there are other like you can volunteer at reception or there's always a spot
6: for someone to help out at three c r yes there is, the whole three c r is uh, people will be surprised uh, or won't be surprised that uh, there's only about four or five permanent staff for the whole organization or radio station in the in the modern world, and uh, most of the job is done by volunteers. So and volunteers uh, are subscribers, and subscribers are, are an important part of the organization. And uh, we want more people to subscribe and become involved in uh, um, in, in in a radio station that uh, is becoming more and more personally, I think, um, um, politically, more and more vital part of the of of the city here because. Uh, um, you know, we, we we are the voice of the voiceless and uh, voice for the minority groups, voice, because the bigger media shut them down, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, nobody gives them opportunities. Like like my community was is a classic example, and I have seen lots of other communities here, whether it is timorese later, and uh, uh, I was part of that not um, not real part, but I was involved in. Uh, uh, seeing their struggle through, and uh, now Samoans and uh, you, you name it, Africans and West Papua, yes, yeah, yeah. all that. Yeah, so that three CR is the. If not for three CR, these they would have been really, really. I I have personal yeah of my community involvement, and now we benefited.
4: I think even though, like I said, some perhaps the way that you know sending a fax through um, may have changed in the way that the news is getting out there it's still being a voice for um, communities that are not being heard. And also, I mean, the internet, there's a lot of information out there, but to be able to come to one place, to be able to get information to communities or campaigns and activism, it, yeah. it's really important
6: to have yeah. that in one Pe- central place. People say that when I say we used to re- wait for the facts and then read the, read the news, and now we can just read the, read it on the phone. Everybody can read it and become... They can form their own views, but when it's discussed in public through a through a radio station, then it gets to the other communities as well, who are not uh, uh, part of your community and uh, looking at your news. And uh, here they are listening. And radio is radio is still uh, and will be always be a very important part of the community discussions. And,
0: Absolutely, uh, and it's a very. Um it's strange to say this, but it's a very intimate um, very form intimate. of media, media exactly. as well. It goes straight into the ears. And also, and also um, the mm-hmm. fact
6: that uh, I have this habit of interrupting. So <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> that's all right, Sen, uh, go ahead. Also the fact that uh, when you are looking at your computer or at your, at your telephone, you are or you only read. Your, and, and But when you are dis- uh, over the air, a lot of people are reading and listening to it at the same time. Mm. And uh, it, it, some some issues can create a bond in that in that sense, and radio is very important.
4: I think podcasting, rather than um, less than radio, has really strengthened the ability to mean that more and more people can access and go something. But, and, yeah, 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 and go, go back and listen to things that exactly. happened in the past. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah, I think that those things really show that radio is going to continue to be a, a big force.
6: And also the technology and uh, 3CR with very limited uh, resources have done well, but we would uh, ask subscribers to to come forward and subscribe so that we can invest on technology and uh, be do more podcasts to do, improve our web uh, design and uh, all that kind of things. We, we don't have enough money, we just run on little budget. so... Mm. They're running on Steam. Yes. Subscription is really important yes. subscription to 3 important. financial backing Definitely. as well. Yeah. Um,
0: yes. what, do, you, do you have an idea of like the
6: proportion in which subscription is important? for? The I think I, the radio tone is about... Uh, grants is about 30%. Mm. Radio tone is about 30%. Mm. Gra- um, Project-based grants. And then probably about 20%, 25% of yeah. the income which is of the really total budget. Oh, it's mm. significant, yeah. yes. Of uh, the budget is uh from the subscribers yes. mm.
0: it's probably worth going through the um the the different types of subscriptions that are available, so mm. we do have mm. subscriptions that are for People either on a concession, if you're a student, or if you're unwaged. Yes, um, unwaged, yes, $35. $35. Yes, um, yes. So how much is it for people who are waged? $75. 75 And we've also got um, subscriptions for bands and for solidarity as well, is that right? Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, I can't, I don't know off the to top of my 150? head, what is the amount, 150 or that's something? That's right, yeah, yeah, 150 I mean, that's another thing, though. Um, so there are a couple of radio stations across Melbourne who are really good on... On local, music, local um, music, definitely listen to some great radios, uh, great shows, shows off of um, yeah. FM, for example. Mm, mm. But on AM here on 3CR, we do have connection to much smaller and much newer um, artists, at least on 3CR. And there there are some live radio shows with um with live musicians as well. And I think that's something that you're buying into. Basically, 3CR is really embedded in the in the cultural. Yeah, I think traditionally and
6: historically we have mm. we have supported. Uh, Music has been part of the receiver mm. for a long time, yeah. Yeah, that's
0: right. Mm. Um, so, subscribe, people.
4: You yes, do it. please subscribe. <laughs> that, that's night. an annual cost. So, yeah. you know, it's you, an annual cost once a, a year. Yeah, that's true. not very much really to ask people a, to
6: do. It's it's an yearly subscription. We we do have this February drive, uh, sub, call it subscriber drive. Uh, it, it's only started about three years ago because we thought that. Uh, uh, it, um, it will be good for administrative purposes and all mm-hmm. that to have a particular um, period uh, everybody subscribes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. used to be whenever, mm. uh, whenever it finished, uh, your subscription mm. ended, you paid again, but that cost... Uh, Issues like you have to remind them and send letters and all that kind of thing. Yeah, well, now's the time to re-subscribe as well. Yes, re-subscribe. Renew your subscription.
0: Renew subscription, that's right. Um, So, but that being said, a lot of people, even if they are, um, if we do have a a concession uh, subscription rate, some people are quite cash poor, but they're rich with time or skills and um, definitely want to join into the project. So, um, to to your mind, what kind of actions or
6: gifts would be most helpful to people um, to 3CR right now? I was just talking to Gab about this one uh, mm. because I'm not uh, tech uh, savvy. Yeah, uh, I understand people can donate equipment, but um, it becomes a. Sometimes it becomes. Uh, tedious to make, modify it and uh, do things like that. So we prefer money. Yes, uh, yes. Money is the ideal one because That's everything true. everything is planned and programmed mm. and all that. So mm. if you have to buy equipment, as I said, we have to keep up with the technology as well. So uh, one of the things, uh, I think all the uh, organizations who are involved in uh, um, helping people uh, will tell you that uh, With the good intentions, people won't donate, donate, but it becomes a burden sometimes because Mm -hmm. they cannot be used and things Mm -hmm. like that. So ideally we would like the money, but if the the equipment is uh, good, then we will have a look at it, yes.
4: I guess in terms of time, we'll send out a Facebook um, subscriber uh, notification later today. And if people would like to invite their friends to like that or share that um, post we send out and also like our Monday breakfast page, then Mm. just getting the word out would be a really great help. And, you know, if people have heard the show today then please you know tell your friends to subscribe
6: perhaps you're not in a situation to do that on your facebook friends Mm, and invite invite them to as it happens 3cr
0: monday breakfast does actually have a facebook page we haven't been super active but we're definitely going to start putting if we've got events and that sort of thing coming up we'll be putting details up on our 3cr monday breakfast page you just look up
6: that's that's the way way to go anyway
0: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. definitely and you know 3cr in general has a good presence on Twitter and on mm. Facebook and we're getting more into Instagram as well. Um if you're interested in subscribing call 94198377. Or oh, you know what? Just come into the station. Um, the state, the the reception of three stars is friendly, open. Very
6: friendly receptionist on Monday morning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. you just after this, you're going to grab a coffee and get yes, straight down to go reception. Straight down to the reception. Yeah.
6: yeah um, doors open at like nine, nine o'clock, o'clock in the morning. Nine o'clock to five
0: o'clock. That's yeah, right. That's and you know what? We're in Fitzroy. We're in the f- the heart of the city here. Twenty one Smith Street, Fitzroy Station um, reception is open from nine o'clock until five p.m. So you've got all day to come down and say hi. Um, Lots of coffee shops. That's right. And subscribe. <laughs> join us here in independent community media and, um, you know, be part of the project. If you want to volunteer... Support here, us
6: to keep the independence going. That's right. That's right.
4: Perhaps the Catholic Church might like to donate
6: some money. Donate from- 00, 001% of their wealth. That would be It'll too be much money. Us, yes. We wouldn't know what to do with yes, this. We know <laughs> some what of to the do buildings.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know what? There are a couple of buildings quite nearby, which would be really handy for the ECR. Yeah, I think exactly, so. If, yeah, they, if they've got some, you know, a building
4: lying around there, the really neighbourhood, yeah, great acoustics in church. Too. Mm. Mm.
0: I hadn't thought of that. We could do some live sessions in there. That'd mm. be awesome.
6: Yeah, that will be good. <laughs> thank you.
4: Yeah, well, uh, thank
0: you so much, Sen, for coming. No worries. In. Thank you so much. My and Yes, I will. And you folks have been at home listening to 3CR Monday Breakfast. Uh, If you are interested in um, subscribing again, I'll say the number one last time, 94198377. That's it for 3CR Monday Breakfast. Stay tuned for women on the line. And you folks have a wonderful week. Subscribe, okay? Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And have a beautiful day.